Welcome to the B2B Category Creators Podcast, hosted by Gil Alouche, founder and CEO of Metadata.io. This podcast is all about sharing the real and sometimes uncomfortable secrets of category creation in the B2B software space. On this week's episode, we have Alex Poulos, VP of Marketing from Security, the leader in AI-powered data security, privacy, and compliance, and Megan Eisenberg, CMO at TripActions, the leading cloud-based T&E platform that combines industry-first technology with best-in-class travel agency service. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Category Creation Podcast. My name is Olivia LeBay. I'm president here at Metadata, filling in for Gil. And today we have two outstanding guests I'm very excited to have on the podcast. We have Megan Eisenberg, as well as Alex Poulos. Uh, We'll start off with Megan. Uh, Megan, thanks for uh, joining us today. Um, can you tell us uh, a little bit about your current role and then also share something that the listeners might not already know about you? Great. Hi, Megan Eisenberg. I'm the CMO at TripActions. We're a business travel and spend management company. I've been here a little over two and a half years. Uh, excited to be on the podcast today. Um, you know, many people know I have kids. I have three kids, three girls, um, but I also have three French bulldogs. So, uh, girl, kids, and boy, dogs. So we have a full house. That's great. I I have three boys, but our dog, I only have one dog, but our dog is a female dog. (laughs) Um, Alex, uh, where where do you work? And um, tell us something about yourself. Yeah, thanks. uh, Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. I was uh, formerly CMO at uh, Dogsend, got acquired by Dropbox. And also very, very recently, I started as head of marketing for security.ai and security data privacy, security and governance solution and platform all in one. Um, things that you might not know about me, I, I, I do have a girl, I do have a boy dog, uh, but where everything comes together is around soccer. I've, I've played soccer, I'm a big soccer fan. I will let out that I'm a Chelsea fan in Premier League and both my daughter and myself play soccer. Love it. Okay. How do you feel about saying soccer when I know you really want to say football? It's painful. It's painful. It pains me. Thank God for Ted Lasso. Thank God for Ted Lasso. Uh, That that is a great show. Have you guys watched that show? Because I love um, all of the... um, He's a good leader. And I I just feel like really inspired when I watch the show. Have you guys uh, watched any of those episodes? I, I do, we do. I thought it was going to be about soccer, but it's so much more than soccer. And as you said, the, the leadership, the honest leadership, right? Uh, there are moments in the show where you're like, oh my God, yeah, he's doing something there uh, beyond just a you know, uh, comedy. All right, Megan, let's start with you. Because um, you've created several categories and you've recasted several categories. Um, so I'd love to find out is when you joined Trip Actions a couple of years ago, uh, did you plan on, on creating a new category? Are you more recasting a category? I'd love to learn more about that. And then we can talk about um, the other businesses you were involved in. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. When I joined, we were solely focused on business travel and our CEO and, and executive team had a vision of uh, really creating a new category that would bring travel, spend, payments, all the way to the ERP system, all on one platform. So coming in, it was business travel, 
it was our positioning and taking on a very uh, old and legacy marketplace, massive addressable market, uh, but I would say the most modern player was 20 years old. So that was definitely a disruptive, you know, Trip Actions is a disruptive play. We launched Liquid last year, which is our payments and spend platform in February. And that is combined with travel, because if you think about it, uh, when you look at TNE, 70% is actually travel. Your second largest spend is TNE, and a big portion of that's travel. So it makes sense you're going to put all of that on one place versus separating those systems out. And there's nobody that exists as one platform. It's three to five different technologies, disparate systems. And so our huge benefit is you're all in one place, one place for visibility, reporting control. And so that is targeting the CFO and uh, the controller and procurement to buy one system versus multiple. And that is itself a new category because no player crosses that. But, uh, and of course the challenge there is taking something that doesn't exist in someone's mind. They're used to buying it from different places and explaining the benefit obviously of having it in one place, but that it's possible and how much better it is than the existing systems. And, and Megan, you did all that during COVID, by the way, right? Really yes, fine. we're still yeah, really doing it. <laughs> we're still, we're doing still it. getting, we're still after it. <laughs> but, but you started the journey and then COVID happened and then, oh my God, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I really accelerated liquid uh, because people are, while they might've paused on travel for a little bit, they were still spending, they still had to buy office equipment, marketing, you know, they're spending in marketing, they're spending paid search, they're buying software. And so that part of our business really took off because they needed, you know, a system that allowed them to do that very easily. And Alex, tell us about, um, so you're really new in your role. Um, and so I'd love to learn, you know, a little bit more about why you decided to go there. But um, while you were at Dachshund, Dachshund was a really interesting tool because, um, you know, I, you know, since I've been here the last two years, you know, a big part of it's been in fundraising and Dachshund is definitely something that I think most people that are fundraising are using so they can see how long people are doing it. And I don't know that that is what you guys were set up for uh, in the beginning, but that's kind of what, what happened. So, you know, tell us about your journey at Dachshund specifically. Um, did you, you know, plan when you joined? Did you like, or like was your job to create a category or to uh, recast an existing category? So when, when I joined, Doxen was moving from a, a sales enablement tool selling for enterprises into something that had some PLG legs, right? The, the feeling was that we should move out of, away from the enterprise selling motion because the product had such great adoption at, at the user level. So that decision was made when I joined and I was, I was given on the, on the good market team a product that's so easy to use. I mean, Olivia, you've used it. Um, everyone liked it, everyone recommended it, but it was a very, very simple value proposition uh, on one hand. And on the second hand, you could use Doxen for so many different things, like so many different things. I think one of, of my, my pet projects every week was to, to sit down and find the weirdest use case of the week. And there will be like, you know, yacht companies that are using Doxen to put like documents out of their yachts to rent them. And it was, it was, it was crazy. So my, my main body of work at Adoxen was, okay, how do we take that, you know, general value proposition and create vertical use cases and sell into those use cases? And the number one use case, as you mentioned, was fundraising. Fundraising was great for us. We immediately identified that founders were using us and we built a whole marketing program and marketing strategy around founders, you know, using us for fundraising. 
Um, and then we moved into other use cases, board management, investor relations, sales and, and sales enablement was still a big, big use case for us. Uh, but I think most of the work we did was, you know, how do we take a, a value proposition that's so generic and turn into very specific vertical marketing and follow the user from one use case to another. Got it. Thanks for sharing. So Megan, uh, tell us about your experience at uh, DocuSign um, as well as uh, MongoDB because um, you were there um, during some massive growth years. And so one thing I'd love to know um, and then we'll talk about today is, you know, um, you know, your conversations with the um, analysts, right? As well as, you know, how much does brand play into creating a category, so on and so forth. So I'd love to, for you to share with the, our listeners today, uh, your experience first at Mongo, and then, you know, we can dive into the DocuSign. Yeah, so I mean, MongoDB was definitely in a category that existed as far as databases. Oracle dominated the category um, for a, a long time. And um, we spent a lot of time building relationships and awareness of a new type of database, a new way of building an application, um, meeting with the analyst. Uh, certainly there, the category um, existed, um, but doing a lot of education, a lot of demos of what we were looking at, the value prop, proof points, getting customers to talk through the value they were seeing on it. Um, you know, whenever you do one of these Gartner magic quadrants, you're certainly having to get 50 customers talk to the analyst and fill out the form and, and, you know, really become part of that and eventually um, getting into the leaders quadrant. Um, and you're dealing with all the things they look at as a size of a company who you're up against um, your vision and strategy. We had an amazing uh, vision strategy um, for, you know, MongoDB, who's, who's actually doing quite well in the market. Uh, and launched a database as a service with Atlas. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, just the analysts are critical when you're doing, you know, either merging it, joining a category or creating a new category. DocuSign was very different in that uh, the category did not exist. You know, we, we always said we were displacing fax machines and sneaker net and all those other things, trying to get a signature. And so, the category Gartner didn't have a quadrant, Forrester didn't have a wave. Um, you know, we really tried to find who were the analysts that were talking in these topics that we could get interested. Can we create a category? You know, everyone's like, if you create the category, then you're usually the leader in the category. And then the leader in the category gets market share and, you know, the return is way higher than everyone else. And so that's always the desire. Uh, at a company is create the category so you can then lead it and take market share. Yeah. And deposition all your competitors, right? Like if you claim what's in it and you are it, <laughs> then you're depositioning everyone else. Did you guys decide on, on the category name or was that something that was, that just came up from the analysts or, um, cause you know, we're obviously the reason we have this, this podcast is we're trying to create a new category, but yes. you can't, you can't be a category of one, right? And all right. the other vendors have built completely different technology than what we have. And so yeah. we're trying to learn, like, how do you build a category when you're essentially category of one? In yeah, your I case, yeah. what did you guys do? Yeah, it's a good, I mean, we weren't necessarily a category of one in either companies. I mean, certainly there was other competitors like EchoSign out there that had got just gotten bought by Adobe. HelloSign was coming about. I mean, the, you know, 
in the first or second year I was there, I think there we would say six or seven new ankle biters uh, jumping up. So as you get, you validate the space and more people come in, but if you want to foster the relationships with the analyst and coach them towards the direction, as far as naming it, I think it was, um, you know, in the realm of digital transformation, uh, because we were looking at an, and a trusted network, because it was more than just the signature, it was all the relationship documents, it could be payments uh, across a, a platform that you were providing that was secure. Um, and for MongoDB, certainly there was this um, categories of an analytical database, a transactional database, you know, you had different flavors with Snowflake, uh, in there as well, being a slight, you know, different style. So there's different types of databases and there is operational databases, which is what you would typically think of for like an Oracle. And so where did we fit? And so we were coming up with names like trans analytical, you know, we're blending some of the names together. Um, and, you know, I haven't really followed it in the last two years. So I'm not sure where, where they're at now, as far as the categories they've named and they're part of. I will say at MongoDB, we were a little allergic to the gardeners of the world. Um, we were, you know, we wanted to disrupt and we didn't, we didn't want to pay per play. And we felt that, you know, a lot of the stuff was looking at history, not the future. So we, we really felt that, you know, I'm, and, and full disclosure, I'm on the board of G2. And I think that model makes a lot of sense. You get users of a product to give reviews and talk about it. And you're here, you know, it's hearing direct. There's no middle player there. It's not a black box. It's fully open um, and transparent. You can see where the model's coming from. It's updated regularly. You know, we, we didn't want to be in a something that was updated every two years. If you're a disruptor and you're host, right? You you need them to to update it at least annually and quarterly, you know, the way that we move in tech. Yeah, an annual report is already outdated. So I, I certainly at uh, MongoDB, we struggled with the gardeners of the world and 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 those models. Yeah, well, well you have two things that we're definitely gonna talk about later. One is analysts and, and one is, you know, what does, um, you know, customer sentiment review generation fit in to creating a category? So thanks for teeing those up. Um, Alex, you were at also Chartio um, before, as well as Docsend. So tell us about your history building categories there. So Chartio, we did try to build a category, right? We did try to take something in the sense that is the business intelligence, that's something hard that requires some training that you know, most likely requires someone knowing things like SQL and trying to democratize it. So every every line of business team could have access to data. So our motto at the time was democratize your data. Let's make it super easy. And 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 we went we went down that path, I think, fairly quickly in some areas, but in some other areas we we um, we didn't have as much success as we would love. And we ran into some technical issues, like you know, when you tell a marketeer, hey, you're gonna have access to all your data they'll be ecstatic. Oh my God, yeah, it's easy to use. I understand it. Uh, what do I need to do? And I'm like, well, you need to connect to your data warehouse. And the average market here will be for data warehouse. I, I don't know what that is, right? So um, I think that that what we underestimated is that interplay between the technical team, the centralized data and IT teams, and, and the, the appetite that line of businesses had to actually use, use data as quickly and, and with as much agility as, as possible. So um, had we sold that, I think we would have had a much, much, much higher trajectory. Okay. All right. Next question is, um, 
How do analyst firms um, fit in into your category creation? How many do you deal with, right? Because every company will tell me a different uh, answer when, I, when I'm talking to them. And so obviously Gardner is, you know, uh, the, the the main player in most spaces, but I'm just curious here, Megan, you know, um, how many analyst firms do you guys currently engage with? Um, and, and how many did you at you know, the previous companies as well? And then when do you need to start engaging with companies? I had a podcast with uh, Max from Outreach and, and Kyle Lacey from Lessonly. And, you know, those companies are, are more evolved than some of the, you know, the guests that we've had that have like, you know, Series A, Series B company. And they're like, oh, you definitely need to invest there. And I call it the Gartner tax. And so I'm just curious here, uh, you know, when, when do you need to start engaging uh, with those analysts? Um, and then, you know, what is the, the value that you get from it? Yeah, I mean, so every company I've been at has different, like DocuSign didn't have Forrester Gartner set up for this space. Uh, you know, TripActions does not either. So we don't engage with, um, we've looked at the different analysts. Um, we certainly engage uh, in G2 uh, and, and reviews there. Um, we've reached out to analyst companies like Aberdeen when we want white papers. Sometimes you want validation white papers, uh, Harvard Business Review sort of um, people to write about the space where you can demo it and they give your feedback. Um, at uh, Mongodoby, we did, there was Gartner, there was Forrester. Uh, you know, they were already, when I joined, they were already engaged with both those analysts. And then there was, I think, I want to say Red Hat and 451. And I know there's several that you can go in, into based on the industry and space you're in. And so, you know, usually just from a product marketing standpoint, finding out who's writing about it. And then making sure, you know, I think the key is, are you in their selection set? Do they even know about you? So if they don't, you need to brief them immediately. And usually briefing is free. If you want them to write about you, that costs more. If you want them to do a webinar, that costs more. Uh, to be, you know, to participate in the quadrant is supposed to be free, uh, but you need to spend enough time with them to understand your product. So you end up paying for more time because maybe they give you 30 minutes, but you would be better off if they gave you four hours and truly learned about it. And then usually there could be multiple analysts. So, I mean, I think it's immediate if they exist in your space and it, or if you need content and you think they're about, someone will believe them. And it depends who you sell to. I mean, we don't sell to CIOs and CFOs don't tend to go look at Gartner, Forrester stuff anyway. So um, if, if you're not selling to someone that even, you know, our, it was, I always found it was funny at MongoDB, our, our engineering team developers, they never even heard of Gartner. They're like, what, who are these analysts? I mean, they're coding the product and building it out. And our buyer tends to be more developers, engineers. Now, certainly at the enterprise level, enterprise companies, CIOs will go look at these quadrants, um, but not at the mid-market and SMB. Now, if you're positioned well in the quadrant you can use that to get in front of a customer and go look we're number one or we're in the leaders quadrant like it's a great tool if if you look good in it to put in front of your customers to validate yourself but i don't know that anyone goes there anymore except very large fortune 500 cios um okay that that's pretty interesting because it, it differs from what a lot of people think right and um so curious to hear your thoughts on this topic alex yeah, so I, I think Megan covered a lot of, of points here. Like, you know, you engage with the analyst if it makes sense for your go-to-market, right? It's not in and by itself the, the end, right? It, it is a means to an end. 
I tend to have a slightly view about the analysts. I think that the real value is when it's a two-way relationship with an analyst, right? Everyone wants to be in the magic quadrant. Everyone wants to be the cool vendor, right? But to, in my experience, the, the most successful relationships is when, when there's a two-way dialogue. So I can tell you something, but also I need to listen from you and educate myself because an analyst, what they bring to the table is an aggregate intelligence from a lot of customers or potential buyers. And when you have that trust and you build on that trust and you're actually learning along the way, instead of, okay, I'm going to give you one briefing, I'm going to give you another briefing, please move me up on the magic quadrant, why I'm a challenger, why I'm not a leader. So, so that two-way relationship, I value it, um, assuming that the company has you know, the budget to spend because two-way relationship, as Megan said, is, is a paying engagement. Um, we are facing right that right now at security. At security, we are trying to create a new category. We're trying new category that you know more and more data is is in the cloud, more and more sensitive data is in the cloud or across clouds, and companies don't have a single solution where they can actually protect and secure the data, right? And, and that sensitive data, so there are obligations that that they have to fulfill for that data, and and we're talking a lot. I mean, it's a security space, data security space. So analysts are covering it left and right. Uh, we are building relationships with analysts, but again, my 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 philosophy is I would like to learn from analysts and use some learnings to define the category or, or how the category should look like or, or what customers are looking for. But I will venture a point here, a little controversial. I think if you wait for Gardner to define an MQ to have a category, you're too late. You're too late, right? So I think the the, the category creator should own the burden of educating the market and educating customers and potentially educating, you know, educating analysts. Because um, when the MQ comes out, there's already gonna be eight, 10 companies in the MQ. And you know, if, if you haven't been there from the beginning, you just, you just miss your opportunity. So that leads me to um, a question I'm curious about because if you don't own the keywords for this perceived category that is about to be created and you don't know what what the keywords are going to be, right? When people search, because oftentimes create category, um, I'm told that you you don't, as a business owner, you don't create the category, right? It's going to be created by other people. Um, and so, you know, like, when do you place your bets? Because you want to be able to ensure that as soon as the category is created, like you own all the SEO there because you've created all the content. So Megan, what have you done in the past to ensure that, you know, you own all of the key terms to, you know, the, the future categories of the companies you're working at? I mean, I think that's a hard question to own all of it. I think if you're an expert in it and you've created a lot of content and blogs and webinars and it's on your website, then, you know, it sort of becomes self-fulfilling because you've created the terminology, you've built it out and, and done that. Um, I think figuring out what the terms are is knowing your customers well enough to ask them how, how do they describe it? What were they searching on? Oftentimes I'll look at what people search on our website. Well, first I'll realize we don't have a search bar on our website. So then I'll add the search bar. Then I'll look at what are the top things people are searching on from our, within our website. And then usually if you have a good agency, SEM, SEO agency, they can tell you what terms are relevant, most searched. They can do some of that um, you know, learning the market and helping you figure it out and what terms you want to be in and then where you're ranked and who owns it. I mean, we certainly saw here at Trip Actions, there were terms we were like, you know, maybe 
on the eighth page. <laughs> and then we, we made our way up to the first page, but it took, you know, we had to understand what terms people were looking for. And then how do we like business travel? I don't want to be on the eighth page when someone searches for business travel. What do I need to do to fix that? Um, and so you learn where you are, where you stand, and then you can make your way towards better, uh, better return, you know, better showing up on the search. So what do you do aside from creating blog posts and webinars? Is there anything else you can do to ensure that um, you increase your visibility? I mean, uh, it's more on what I was saying is just understanding what are the terms and make sure you're using those terms. There's lots of technologies that can help you analyze your writing to make sure it's optimized for search engines. Um, it's, you know, reinforcing it in your sales conversations and decks, reinforcing it at when you're back in person at events. All right. Um, let's see, Alex, what, what are your thoughts on this, uh, on this topic? SEO in particular. And, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Keyword, what, like, yeah. Yeah. Brand, like building a brand while you're trying to create a category at the same time. Yeah. So uh, to, to me, SEO, I think, I think we're spending too much time on, on bottoms up strategies and, and, and tactics and how to optimize. Uh, I do, I'm a big believer that if you write uh, and provide thought leadership and provide a unique point of view uh, and you represent yourself well, uh, SEO will come one way or another. People will read it, people will appreciate it. People will start linking to it, talking about it, so you will get the traffic. So I, I'm always, you know, coaching my teams, like my content marketing teams. You know, you have to provide, you know, our point of view. You have to, if you are to write about a topic, it has to be in the top five percent of content on that topic out there, because otherwise you're not going to survive. So I always, you know, lean towards quality versus quantity, right? Um, so don't write 10 different blog posts to cover every keyword, write the one with, with a point of view. Um, what, one of the things we did at security, like, you know, as I was joining up, um, we're seeing certain traffic around some keywords and then we wanted to push our own, um, uh, which was one of our market definitions, privacy, privacy ops, the way there are data ops or DevOps. If you're managing privacy in a company, you have privacy ops because at the end of the day, it is, it is an operational initiative in the company. So we coined the term privacy ops. Um, that was right before my time. So I, I don't want to take any credit for that. Uh, but the company very smartly, you know, picked up the, the URL privacyops.com, which always helps and started providing some, some content there that was specific to, to that concept that there is a team that runs privacy. They have some needs. They, they're looking for, for software, for processes, you know, for, for different systems. Um, and, and that side became, became a, a a sister side to our main side, but talk specifically about those keywords and those terms that we wanted to promote. Okay. Now, um, something that's dear to my heart is, um, you know, um, customer validation. And so I'd love to hear, uh, Megan's already mentioned, she's on the board of G2, but you know, how uh, do review sites play into your ability to effectively create a new category and also have a lot of mindshare in that category? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an important part of, of social proof is having reviews and it's direct from the, you know, your users and you can't, you can't fake that, right? You want trusted reviews, uh, you want, and, and some of it you, you don't, people just go and they put, you know, one of the things I've been fortunate at DocuSign, MongoDB and uh, TripX is we have really high NPS scores and really high customer sat 
and uh, success around things like user-generated reviews. And you can package that up and they're public. You know, sometimes when you try to get press release quotes or different things like that, it's hard for uh, certainly for Fortune 500 companies to give you approval of quotes and different things like that. But when their users are out there openly stating how much they love a product or use it, that's gold as far as I'm concerned, because you can point prospects to go look at that. They can see who's put it out there um, and, and validate it. So I, I think it's a really important part of, of you know, certainly creating categories and new categories and the future of where a category is going is, is, do you have product market fit? And when you have product market fit, people go out and say great things about you. So when should you start if you're in, you know, because we have a lot of people that are newer at building companies that listen to the podcast, like what, you know, when do you start, you know, generating reviews? Is it before product market fit or once you have it? Like, how did, how did you do it? I mean, the companies you worked at obviously are, you know, you know, very large enterprises, but you joined them before they were, you know, common uh, companies everyone was familiar with. So like, when, when do you decide to like, you need to double down on that? Um, you know, so at DocuSign, I joined a 150-person company, right? They weren't very big. But uh, as they started to grow and we wanted to create a category and there was nothing in Gartner or uh, in Forrester, we loved working with the different players like G2 because they were we were able to create a category with yeah. them. We were able yeah. to say, hey, yeah, this is what we're doing. What, what are you calling it? What can we do? Uh, let's get the other players involved and let's collect reviews. So the way to start it is one, does it exist? But if it doesn't, then you can do something on these newer platforms to get it going pretty fast. And then as soon as you have customers, they, you can ask them to write reviews um, you know, pretty, uh, pretty quickly. And the other thing we set up, any event we were at, we had a, a laptop with swag and we're like, hey, leave us a review. Uh, and for your time, take a you know, Moscow mule mug take some socks, take a sticker, you know, get people to be curious and then uh, leave a review. So you can, what I also love it is you can generate reviews really fast or send an email out mm -hmm. to your customer base and ask them, will you leave a review? And, um, you know, your customers, I've always found the customers love it. They'll leave a review. You really don't have to do much except here's the link and make it easy for them to get to it. Yeah. So Alex, uh, Chartio and, and Doxen, you guys had a lot of reviews. How, how did that play into you, you, uh, you know, trying to categorize yourself uh, as the leaders in those spaces? Uh, first of all, I think it's, it is super important, right? If, if I were to think about a category, category starts from, from the customer and the market and some unmet need in the market, right? So listening to customers in whatever forum is that is, is huge, right? So to us, G2 and similar you know, approaches, as Megan said, they challenged the, the status quo, which was you know, the analyst knows everything. The analyst will provide guidance and it's a very top-down approach. But now every customer has their voice and, and they can provide the reviews, provide the ratings into those platforms. Um, we, were, we were very fortunate that both Chario and Doxen were products that you know, were created and built and developed with a user experience in mind. So we were very, very comfortable going and asking for reviews. And I second the point that Megan said that if you have the right product and the right users and you invest in the user experience, then it's so easy, right? I, I remember with, with Doxen, we wanted to get, you know, hundreds of reviews, you know, in, in a short period of time. And it literally it only took us a weekend to get to the number that we, we had set up. You know, literally we sent an email on, on Friday, 
we saw that on money, we're like, okay, we got to stop it, right? It's, it's done. Um, but but some to, to your initial to your initial point, when is a good time? Sometimes you don't have a choice. Sometimes your users go out there and start leaving reviews for your product, right? So you have to recognize that, listen to them. Um, and again, I, I go back to 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 my two-way point again. You know, I love great reviews, but I also appreciate bad reviews because it gives us an opportunity to engage. And my advice will be: if if there is a bad review, if someone is not happy, feel free to engage. Just don't let it go. Don't don't shove it under the carpet, right? Go and engage on the platform. Go engage with the user because sometimes, you know, some of our our, our most loyal users they started from a bad review. Right? They left us a bad review, and then that's how we build the relationship. So, so it's an opportunity to engage with your customers and users in, in, in more ways than one, right? Now, how do you know that you've succeeded in creating a category or recasting a category, Megan? Well, I mean, the best is when someone says, I docu-signed it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> They're like, you did. That's right. That means electronic signature or, you know, so the Kleenex, and that, right? Yeah. When you, everyone wants to be the Kleenex. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's a really good way. Or I Googled it, right? You know, and they didn't create the category, actually. They just dominated it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, when people reference it, talk about it, it just becomes second nature for folks. It's you're obvious when someone mentions it, it's you're the obvious choice. Okay. Aside from becoming a verb, are there any other uh, ways that you can say, you know what, I've done a pretty good job of, of creating this category. Yeah. When someone has a problem and you're, you are the answer, right there. Oh, I'm looking for a travel platform. Oh, we use trip actions. Right. I think if you start to hear that over and over again, or even when I'm out and about and someone will go, oh, we're customers of TripActions. We love it. You know, I love hearing that. Same when I was at MongoDB, same when I was at DocuSign, you know, that sort of validation or your sales rep walks into a meeting they've set up and they've heard of you or they're in a conversation and your, your rep's not having to explain even who you are right? That's the worst when the rep's like, nobody even knows who we are. Then I feel, okay, I haven't done my job to give them the air cover and the awareness and to own the category. Um, or if you're an RFP, right? If you get an inbound RFP, you're definitely in the selection set. So you're, you're in there, you would like to lead it and you hope you're the first one that's in there and you're setting all the traps for everyone else, or you're helping them create the RFP. If the, their yeah. company mandates an RFP and they ask you to help them create it even better, <laughs> here's the requirements that you need for your solution. Alex, um, do you feel at any point in your career where like, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've built this category or uh, we're, we're on our way and we're close to it? Um, as, as I mentioned, security is, is something where we're heavily investing on, on category creation. And again, we're looking at some market trends, as I mentioned, more and more sensitive data on the cloud. You know, we're looking at existing solutions that are out there that don't, don't serve the need. And, you know, we have some seriously big brands actually buying Buying, buying our software, right? And, and their vision is, I'm not buying a point solution, I'm buying because I need to solve this problem that is, that is more than just the sum of the point solutions. So I feel we're at a great place right now. Um, of course, it's, it's, it's very early, you know, uh, we're, we're right now discussing with customers, what is that category name? And the name is important, right? How do you pick up those two, three keywords and define something that's well understood and others can use? Um, that, that's where we are right now. Um, 
so we're we're leveraging our, our customer base for that and more to come i hope more to come all right so we're gonna go in a different direction there uh with the last two questions for today um so the first question is what is a hashtag fail moment in your career as an entrepreneur uh, and you guys can take a minute to think about it, but uh, this is usually something that a lot of our listeners love to hear about is, you know, uh, mistakes you guys have made and, and what essentially you learned from those. Specific mistakes or? or, or... No, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, when you're building a company, you make a lot of mistakes all the time, but what, what are the mm-hmm. ones that mm-hmm. uh, you think people can learn from? I mean, I, I have made a lot of mistakes. I think DocuSign, we had the segmentation wrong on an email blast and uh, we switched to and and an or and emailed the whole database inviting them to an event in Oregon, right? Now we were totally oversubscribed, but um, the support team was not happy with the inbound calls of why all these people around the world got invites to go to some training course <laughs> up in the Northwest. So, I mean, all day long, things like that. I've, I've seen happen um, and, and I couldn't stop the send, right? It was, I was, you know, uh, we, I think we had someone in Eloqua trying to drive over to stop the send of the email before it went to, at the time, 13 million people was a lot of people to put in it. And it was, we couldn't even open it again. Um, and the, pro, you know, there's a lot of fail safes, but the person was the backup person. The main person was on vacation. The person that scheduled it got the and or or wrong. They didn't check to see the size of the segment because it took so long. They just went on and were doing something else. They never even looked that the email was going to go to 13 million people. So it was like all these ways we could have caught it and we, we didn't. And then as it was sending, it was so large, we couldn't get it to open up and stop it. <laughs> anyway, that's probably one of my favorites. <laughs> Alex, what do you have? I have a lot actually, so let's let's get started. Um, something similar to Mangan, and I'm gonna date myself here. It was in the early days of social media monitoring. Um, at the time, I was running my own marketing agency, so we, we had a big customer, you know, one of the top technology brands in the U.S., and we were insisting that they, they should invest on a social media monitoring tool, and we convinced them as an agency. So they gave us a budget to use, and that tool was charging by the, the number of uh, results or hits it was processing. So we had to be very careful as to what terms we wanted the social uh, media monitor for. And I remember it was, it was me who actually at the end, like, you know, wrote this big or and end statement. These are the terms and everything. And of course I got the logic wrong. So we were social media monitoring for the term the term resolved to actually marketing. That was that we were monitoring the social media for. So within 12, 12 hours, we're the number one customer of that social media monitoring tool by, by volume. And we thankfully, thankfully they understood we made a mistake and, and they took back because we had exceeded the, the customer's budget by, by tens and hundreds of times. Uh, but that, that's, that's like very, very, very common. Um, I, I think if, if you ask me as, as, as building teams, a mistake that sometimes we make and, and, and it's hard to quantify is how do you hire the best person of the job versus someone who can just do the job, right? If I go back and, and in, in the times where I just hired someone because I felt, okay, they're good enough, we'll survive versus, you know, hiring someone that's going to take the whole team to the next level. 
Um, th these are mistakes that they're not at the moment, they, they manifest over time, but, but they have a big return up, up or down, depending on where you go. Yeah, that's, that's some very good advice. I've, I've been a lot of early stage companies and I think you can be more selective in the beginning, uh, but as you start to hit a certain scale, it becomes much, much harder uh, to get you know only what you consider to be A players. Um, and so it is, but I think it is critical in the early days to ensure that you, you hold out. I mean, like we're, we're, we're about to close on a, a VP of customer success. We've been at it for six months. Like it's yeah. just, you know, something like we didn't take the first yeah. person. We're like, we need the right person for the job. Yeah. All right. Last question for today. Um, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? I can, I can go. Um, the advice I give myself is uh, be open to failing more and learning from your failures, right? Um, I always, you know, held myself on a high performer. I, I cannot fail. I shouldn't fail. It's, it's not a good thing. Maybe it's my European upbringing as well. But, but learning how to fail constructively and, and not being afraid to try big things, uh, even if they lead to failure and, and pick up and learn from it. Um, definitely good advice that I could have used. It's, okay. it's yeah. okay to fail if you fail the right way, right? Yeah. As long as you learn, you don't make the same mistakes over, right? And yeah. over. Megan. I think seeking feedback earlier, you know, I've, I've got a lot more feedback as I've become a CMO and I've probably grown a lot faster in getting that feedback and, and not being afraid of feedback uh, and to get, you know, earlier in my career, asking for it, getting it, not being overly sensitive to it and creating a space where people are comfortable providing it. So who would you be asking feedback from, from your, your direct reports or? Um... Yeah, your peers, you know, your boss certainly gives you feedback all the time, but um, just your peers, even outside of marketing, how you can help better, things you can do better, be received better. I don't know, I, um, I would say I got more feedback my first time as a CMO uh, and I had good peers that were willing to give it. All right, guys. Thank you so much for attending today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for, Thanks having, for having us. Thanks again for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and we'll tune in again. Find all of the B2B Category Creators episodes at metadata.io. And if you have any feedback, topics, or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. 